Book three, chapter two of the Mask by Florence Irwin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mr. Fallon, Phil's actor friend, may have been guilty of some exaggeration in calling Sconset the only summer resort in the world. For that, however, we shall have to pardon him on the score of precedent. There are so many only places, only girls, only books, and only what not that the expression has come to be an accepted hyperbole and in the case of the howlands mr fallon's assurance was entirely justified for that particular summer no place could possibly have suited them better fallon was a star of some renown who had been engaged by mrs deverall to play the part of the lover in phil's inca a strong mutual admiration had sprung up between author and actor and at Sconset, Fallon was one of the most popular members of a colony of artists, all eager to welcome the gifted Mr. Howland to their midst. Phil was in his element, and he found the summer not only enjoyable but instructive. He picked up many a useful bit of knowledge about the technique of playwriting, in which he had always been keenly interested. Alison, for her part, was enthralled. It was a new life, she couldn't recognize herself, and she was so seething with fresh impressions that she felt as though she would burst in trying to contain them. She wandered around, excited, restless, stimulated. The surf, the downs, the dunes, the harbor, the town, the lighthouse, all opened new brain worlds to her. She used to get Phil out on the beach and make him discuss with her the various personalities in their present circle. At first this did not interest him particularly. He always said that he took people as he found them. Some he liked, others he didn't. More often than not his feelings were influenced by their attitude towards him. But left to himself he would never sit down deliberately to analyze characters. He would never imagine hypothetical situations and the way that they would affect different persons. In a word, he had never been as much interested in thoughts as in the manner of their expression. Hang it all, Al, he said one afternoon as they lay stretched on the sand watching the tumultuous surf. You might just as well ask me how I think Fallon would look with his wife's hat on his head. Well, how do you think he would? she retorted instantly. By every means she was trying to stimulate his imagination. You don't mean to say that that really interests you? No, I don't. That was your suggestion, not mine. But even so, it is rather amusing. However, it is mental traits, not physical ones, that are interesting. Think of those convicts on Blackwell's Island that we saw from the boat the day we came up here. Don't just say prisoners, poor devils, and let it go at that. Think of them as men, penned up there without space for moral breathing. Imagine them looking out on the limitless star-studded sky, and on the free wide water with its passing craft. Strains of music from the boats would be carried to their ears. The lights would float across space to their weary eyes and then would come their inevitable nightly return to the tiny pens to which they are doomed. Try to fancy their feelings, some bitter, some hopeless, all sad, some eager to be free in order to get even with the world, 
others longing for a chance to do better imagine the homes from which they came the links in the chain that binds them isn't that tragedy for you yes i suppose it is but it is so commonplace it is just the usual convict's life that my dear boy is just where you are wrong it is your vision of it that is usual and commonplace and limited the writer who can get to the intimate soul-throb of one of those convicts is the one who can produce a masterpiece of illumination i suppose there are no new things in the world except mechanical inventions there certainly can be no new passions nor desires nor comedies nor tragedies they have all existed from time immemorial modified by circumstances only it is the point of observation the sympathy of perception and the force of imagination that enable one man to portray them better than his fellows the material is all there it needs but the moulding hand phil had pulled his hat-brim far down over his eyes his hand was idly piling the sand into heaps for a moment he did not speak and then he said what else did you notice on that boat oh phil dear dozens of things i could talk a month and not be talked out about that one trip indeed yes tell me something else you noticed well that poor pretty blonde thing not more than nineteen or twenty and decked like the queen of sheba and the horrible fat man with her he must have been over fifty years old she called him uncle you remember and you laughed and said that you knew all about him and that he was no more her uncle than you were yourself and that he had dozens of such nieces you remember yes well what of them this instead of shrugging your shoulders at the usual game and calling the girl a young fool and the man an old one look at it as a life history and a tragedy imagine that man past his prime approaching old age picture to yourself what that age will be the satiety the weariness the burden of foul responsibility imagine the boyhood and youth that led to such a conception of life and then the poor pretty victim whether an eager one or an unwilling one still a victim as much a prisoner as any convict that lives shut in a horrible self-made cell whose walls are constantly contracting to crush her and from which it becomes more impossible to escape with each year of her life think of her hours of cold loneliness she has her gems and her clothes and her motors and she must love them amazingly to have paid for them so dearly but they cannot possibly fill her heart she knows that she possesses nothing else has no hope of possessing anything else don't you suppose that she suffers hours of gnawing weariness and longing what makes you think about all these things al think of them how could anyone help it after once knowing that they exist we have to think of course back in coningsboro i thought of life as far as i knew it and even then it seemed very wonderful to me but now when i see how wide the world is how various are the souls it holds i feel as if i could never get to the end of it all and as if there wasn't a minute to waste 
it seems to me that the great danger is the tendency to come to look upon important things as ordinary and commonplace that is the effect of reiteration take the most beautiful poem in the world for instance if there could be such a thing possible the first time that you read it you will thrill in response to its every syllable but if you hear it repeated seventeen times a day you will presently come to listen to it without heeding its beauty i think it is like that with life the first great need is the power of perception and the next thing is to keep that keen first edge on your feeling to keep yourself fresh as you might say of course with me the very quietness of my training assured my freshness to impression there's more to it than that said the man you love to think but you want to do it on certain lines it is people that interest you the most wonderful piece of machinery in the world wouldn't excite you particularly of course not it isn't alive it can't feel i should try to be interested in it but that's the precise point you'd try but you would have to try and probably after all you wouldn't succeed especially well and you wouldn't understand it even if some great inventor should take the trouble to explain to you all its wonderful parts no i shouldn't i don't understand machinery at all it seems marvelous to me that there are minds that can study the moving wheels of a machine and then know how to insert an extra cog or screw that will make them work in exactly the opposite direction precisely and you are interested in those inventive minds but not in those wheels because they are not alive yet there are persons to whom machinery is just as fascinating and just as comprehensible as are human beings to you i suppose so but it seems odd not in the least it is because you have a distinct gift the odd part is that you seem to think it must be universal that everyone can and should be as interested in human minds and human souls as you are yourself i see she said slowly you think it is a gift i know it is and the things that we can do easily always seem so simple that we think anyone could do them if they would only try but you could do this too phil not as you can after you start a subject i enjoy threshing it out with you but as a subject it certainly would never even occur to me unless you formulated it that is merely initiative you need nothing but the first push and you enjoy this sort of talk much more than you used to yes i do it's great fun and your own gift is so wonderful my gift words you mean yes why that's nothing the words are simply there waiting to be used she clapped her hands there you are she cried belittling the thing that comes easily to you just as you say we all do so are ideas always there waiting to be picked up take that story of mine for instance with its central idea of the mask that was suggested by mr keppner keppner certainly that night when we went to chinatown you were there and heard everything he said you could have picked up the thought as easily as i 
if only it had interested you as much. I didn't make it. It was simply there. But to you it seemed commonplace and trite, while to me it was thrilling. It haunted me so that I couldn't shake it off. Was there ever a writer in your family? asked her husband curiously. No, none that I know of. Or a psychologist? Or a philanthropist? Oh, yes, most certainly. My father's father was quite an eminent psychologist. He was considered one of the keenest thinkers of his day, and he was a philanthropist as well. There it is, then. His cloak has fallen on your shoulders. I wonder, mused the girl. My father has always insisted that I am like my grandfather. You evidently are, replied her husband, and then they fell to talking of Alison's book and of the author's proof that they were both reading every day. At sundown they rose. Alison lingered on the wave-beaten strand. Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, she quoted softly, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. What's that? asked her husband. Why, Phil! It's scripture. It is? Well, do you know, it's mighty interesting language. Notice the curious use of that word hitherto. We use it in relation to time. Your text applies it to space. And that is evidently correct. We say hither and thither. That means here and there, you see. So hither must mean here. Hitherto, to here. To here shalt thou come, but no further. Do you know, that's great. Have you a Bible, Al? Phil, what a question. Of course I have. Well, I'm going to read it. She threw back her head and laughed. She couldn't help it. Then, but Phil, she said, isn't it a wonderful thought? To see all those waves rushing in, you'd think nothing could stop them. It seems as if they must soon inundate the entire land, and then, in obedience to their law, and with no other barrier than a strip of sand, they begin to recede. It reminds me of a nation, or an individual, drunk with success. No barrier seems possible, no obstacle adequate, and then, suddenly, the limit is reached. Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further. In silence they turned homeward, their eyes filled with the evening beauty, their ears hearkening to the thunder of the surf, their hearts responsive to the great mystery. Alison's fingers sought and found the hand that was hanging by her husband's side, and thus hand in hand like two happy children they walked home together. In the middle of July, Alison had a letter from Coningsboro that made her very happy. Elsa had a little daughter, and everyone was rejoiced. I wish you could see Roscoe, wrote Mrs. Terry. He is perfectly crazy over the baby. He says that if he sits in his office and thinks of that might, his heart begins to beat faster. And when he is at home, he can hardly bear to have the child out of his sight. She is the prettiest little baby that I have ever seen, and she is named for her mother and for me. Elsa wants you to be her godmother, even if it must be done by proxy. 
in spite of her great happiness for elsa alison's heart was lonely and sad and her arms ached with emptiness she wandered alone a great deal for the next few days and couldn't settle down to work and yet there was no doubt that her own baby's death had been her husband's turning point never had there been such a bond between him and his wife never had he considered her so much and himself so little as since their tragedy how thankful she was that she had been given the wisdom to conceal phil's involuntary agency in that tragedy and that circumstances had made concealment possible public knowledge would have put phil in a horrible position all his life he would have been hounded by the fear that the thing was not forgotten he would never have gone back to coningsboro he would never have looked his father in the face his self-respect so necessary to his success would have received its death blow End of Book 3 Chapter 2